<laughs> He's amazing. That guy is amazing right there. <laughs> the book of John in chapter 1. The gospel of John, chapter 1. And we will begin reading in verse 9. When you got it, say so. The Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, That was the true light which comes, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Oh, we thank you so much for your gracious love that you show us, Jesus. We thank you for your precious blood that was shed for us, God. And we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to worship, to adore your glorious and wonderful name, God. And we thank you for your word that is inspired for us, Lord God, to be hearers of and doers of. And so my prayer is that we would not be hearers alone today, but that we would be doers of your word, my God, that we would be hearers of the truth, Lord God, that we would respond to you in faith and that you would grant us grace to live out the truths of the gospel, Lord, that we'll learn today. And we pray this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So we are wrapping up our series, Grace Is. We've been dealing with grace, and we talked about all of the different, a few, not all of the aspects of grace, but we talked about a lot of the different aspects of grace. And today we are going to be talking about the last part of this, of this particular series. And I want to make it clear, this is not the um, end of grace. And what I mean by that is there is a lot more to grace than what I could have shared in five weeks we could speak and we should be speaking every day for the rest of our lives about what? That is the grace of God. We should continuously be getting, be getting revelation or receiving revelation from God about his grace and his power and his purposes in our lives that, re that, that are the result of grace. And so my hope is that through these last, you know, five weeks or six weeks that, you know, you've been hearing this message series. I pray, number one, that you've learned something. I hope that you learned something, that you added something. You may have not learned every single thing new. I mean, some of you have been in the faith for a while, but I would hope that you learned some things within this time. I know that me personally, as a student of the word, I learned every single time. The second thing is I hope that some things are reaffirmed in your heart and that there was some stuff that God reaffirmed, that God confirmed as far as what grace means. And then the other thing above everything else is whether you learned something, reaffirmed something or not, is that you were challenged to continue living a life that is empowered by the grace of God. That is so very important for me is that you hear the message of the truth, and that is the reason why I pray this almost every week, and it's not to be monotonous or to be religious or to vainly repeat something, but when I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word, I mean that from the depth of my heart because in our day, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, a little bit more in a, in a few moments, but in our day, we, are, we, we have a plethora of word. Hello. We have all kind of radio stations. We have all kind of internet. I mean, it is so easy for you to hear preaching of the word. And it is amazing because in a nation that is so rich with what can be the word, and yeah, there's a bunch of false stuff out there, but in a nation that is so rich with, with the ability and access to the word of God, it is amazing how sinful we are. And when we look at this grace message, it's important to me that we hear this and that we do what the scriptures say. So today, we will look at the final aspect of grace in this series. As I said, not the end of grace, but in this series, and that is grace is empowering. And the thing that I want you to realize and that we have to realize is that all that we are, all that we have, and all that we will ever be or that we will ever have is a result of God's grace operating in our life. I will say that again, and this is going to be like the hundredth time that you'll hear me say this, and you'll hear it another thousand times as long as I'm preaching because this is a, this is a, 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 a truth that must be repeated and that we must really get down deep in our hearts, and it is that we must realize that all that we are, all that we have and all that we will ever have or be is a result of God's grace operating in our lives. Woe unto the man who acknowledges not God as the source of all the goodness in his life. 
Woe unto that man who thinks that he has everything that he has or the woman who thinks that she has everything that she has because somehow she is good enough or she earned it or he earned it but doesn't realize that everything that we have is because of the grace of God because God is merciful and he is gracious toward us. And here's why we're going to talk about grace empowering us. It is because God wills that each of us live lives that are fully empowered by his grace. Can someone say amen to that? God wills that everyone, if you're in this room today, understand this. Whether you are walking with Jesus, whether he is Lord of your life, Savior of your life or not, he wants you to walk with him and he wants you to experience the fullness of his grace and his power operating in in, in our lives. And here's what we learned last week when we looked at Hebrews chapter 10. There was a term that was referred to the spirit of grace. And the spirit of grace is who? Say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. And so if you are a believer in this place, it is important that we realize this is that the spirit of grace is in operation in any true believer's life, yet we can limit his manifestation in our lives intentionally or unintentionally. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit is operating in our lives. The Spirit of grace is operating in our lives. And yet, we can live our lives beneath what God wills as far as His grace and His power manifesting in our lives. And I'm going to give you some scripture references here. And you can turn your Bibles with me, with me to these places. We're going to be all over the place. We'll come back to John. Don't worry about that. And we're going to get there in a moment. But the book of Ephesians chapter 4, because I want to point something out to you. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll wait for you to get there. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll wait a couple of seconds, it's just a few books over there. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, when you got it, say so. All right, that's a few of you, so I'll wait a couple more seconds. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, when you got it, say so. It says, and do not grieve, say grieve. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so when I say that, we can, we can live our lives limiting what the Spirit of God does. The Bible says not to grieve the Spirit. And literally in the Greek, what it means is not to sadden the Spirit of God, right? Not to, not, 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 not to grieve Him, not to hurt His heart because He is a person, right? And so we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, if you look all around there, you don't have to do it right now. But if you look around Ephesians chapter 4, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can sit there. Let's just start in verse 25. We'll look at at it just for the sake of argument and and time's sake. We're here. And so verse 25, just go up a couple verses. It says, therefore, put away lying. Do you think that lying grieves the Holy Spirit? I'm just saying, I think it does. He says, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do you think sinning and anger grieves the Holy Spirit? I I think so. It says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. So do you think stealing grieves the Holy Spirit? Okay, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that, we, that, that he may have something to give him who has, who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Do you think corrupt words coming out of your mouth grieves the Holy Spirit? But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to his hearers. And then then we come to verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let's get, get deeper into it. He says, let all bitterness. You think bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit? Well, let all wrath. You think wrath grieves the Holy Spirit? Let that ungodly anger. You think that grieves the Holy Spirit? Clamor. You think that grieves the Holy Spirit? Evil spirit, I, I, I'm getting less yeses. I don't know. Did y'all lose? Like, I don't know. Maybe you, I don't, you're, you're doubting there. Evil speaking, you think that grieves the Holy Spirit? But put away from you all malice. You think r- malice grieves the Holy Spirit? Okay, and be kind to one another. You think when you're unkind to someone, you think that grieves the Holy Spirit? Tender heart, you think when you're not tender heart, you think that grieves the Holy Spirit? Forgiving one another, you think that when you're unforgiving, that grieves the Holy Spirit? even as God in Christ forgave you. And so there's just a few things there that show us how we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we do those things, we grieve him. We sadden him. Okay, but let's move on. We're looking at another verse here. Turn over to a couple, a couple books over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. Because we want grace. I know I don't know, I don't know about you, but I know about me, and I'm assuming you too. You want the fullness of God's grace manifested in your life. You want the fullness of the Holy Spirit manifesting in your life. And, and first, first Thessalonians 5 and verse 19, when you got it, say so. 
It says this, real short verse there. You should, do, you should apply this to your memory. Make this a memory verse. For those of you that have issues with memory verses, this is an easy one, okay? This is almost as short as Jesus wept, okay? What does it say? I, I, mean, I mean, seriously, like, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. You can memorize that one. Start there, you know, start small and grow. And so the next one, it's only a couple more words. What does it say? It says, do not quench the Spirit. Say, do not quench the Spirit. See, there's a memory verse right there. Glory to God. We got it memorized. Do not quench the spirit, right? Don't quench him. So the first thing that, that the apostle Paul says to the Ephesus, to the church in Ephesus, is he tells them, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not sadden the Holy Spirit. Be conscious of the fact that a living being is with you, within you, all around you, and don't act funny. When I be, before I became a Christian, I told you guys, I had a filthy, filthy mouth. I mean, I was never a sailor, but I had a mouth like that. I don't know. But anyway, the point is, I was I was really bad like that. And I remember my grandmother, and, I, and let me say this, okay, I don't, I don't agree with this part, okay, that my grandmother said to me, but at that moment, I didn't know any better. But my grandma said, she said, listen, you need to stop cursing. And I was like, why? And she said, because every time you curse, your angels leave you. I was like, man, I know what I'm doing, so I need as many angels around me as possible, <laughs> right? So when I became a Christian, I was like, yo, I mean, immediately it was like God just washed my mouth. And so my verbiage began to change. And it wasn't because I had to. It is because something that he just did inside of me. What I do know now is based on the verses that we just read about grieving the Holy Spirit, that what happens when I'm using language that is foul and ungodly, that is unnecessary, what do I do? I am grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm dishonoring him. So that means that I'm limiting his work in my life. Okay, so this one here says do not quench the spirit. And literally when it, when it talks about quench, literally in the Greek it means to extinguish a fire. Do not extinguish the Spirit. Don't extinguish what the Spirit of God is doing in your life. Don't hinder what the Spirit of God is trying to do in your life. And he goes through all of these things. We won't read here. We, we, we won't go through this. But he talks to this church about rejoicing and praying and giving thanks and everything. And so we quench the Spirit when we're not rejoicing in Him. We quench the Spirit when we're dishonoring Him. I'm going to give you these two verses, and they could pop them up there. You don't need to put them up there right now. But 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14 and 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14 talks about us not neglecting this gift, right? And he's telling Paul, Paul is talking to his son in the faith, Timothy, telling him, do not neglect this gift. Don't neglect the gift. And so how can we hinder this is by neglecting the gift that God puts in us. And then 2, and, and then 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse, and, and verse 6 says something else. It says to stir up the gift of God that is within you. To stir this gift up, fan into flame in one scripture. And so if we want to see the fullness of God operating in our lives, and we need to make sure that we are not grieving the spirit, we need to make sure we are not quenching the spirit, we need to make sure that we are not neglecting the gifts inside of our life, and we need to be sure that we are fanning into flame the gift that God has placed inside of us. And it's not conjuring up. I don't want you to get it twisted. It's not trying to work yourself up into an emotional place of strength. That's not what he's talking about when he's saying up fan into flame that gift. He's talking about stir that thing up inside of you. Remember the gospel. Remember the reason. Because when you read it in context, because we got to be in context. When you read it in context, he tells a man to be ready to preach. Don't, don't sit on your gift. Don't be ashamed. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, right? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. For what? So you can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the grace of God empowers us to be a gospel-centered people. And if I am a gospel-centered person, what that means is that I am a person who is living for the gospel. I am living from the gospel, and I'm living for the glory of Jesus, and I'm sharing the gospel at every moment and every opportunity that I have. And it's important that we allow the Spirit of God to have full reign in our lives. Our prayer should be that the Holy Spirit continually empower our lives with grace. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must recognize how grace has empowered us. So the title of the message is Grace is Empowering. And so the first thing that I say is that we must recognize how grace has empowered us. And so here's the thing. Turn back to the book of, of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we're going to look there so we can get some foundation. But as we look to the scriptures, it should be abundantly clear that it is the grace of God that empowers our life foundationally and functionally. Grace empowers us. That's what we got to understand this morning. Grace empowers our lives 
foundationally. And so look at what the scripture says. We read the scripture already, but in verse 12 through 13, and in and, and John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, when you got to say so, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now pause for a moment. Who allows us to be children of God? He says he does, right? He said he gives them a right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And we're going to look and see who, how, how we believe anyway. It's not because we believe because we're so great. But look at verse 13 because this really puts it in perspective. He says, who were born. When he's talking about being born, he's not talking about natural birth here. He's pointing to what? Them becoming children of God. Um, if you fast forward, we're not going to do that right now. But if you fast forward to the Gospel of John chapter 3, there's a, there's a conversation that happens between a guy by the name of Nicodemus, right? You remember him, Pharisee? He's like a teacher of the law. And Jesus, and he talks about something that's really important to us. It's called being born again. Say born again. And so talking about coming to life, right, being born again, being reborn, Nicodemus was like, what are you talking about? Am I going back into the mother's womb? He's like, no, that's not what it is. It's being born of the spirit, right? And so when Jesus is speaking here or when, 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 when the gospel writer here is speaking about what Jesus does, what God does, he goes on in verse 13. He makes it clear, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh. In other words, it wasn't because of, of your heritage. It wasn't because you were born. And, and think about this in context now. It wasn't because you were a a person who was an Israelite from birth or you were a Jew by birth, he's not saying, he's saying it wasn't because of blood. It wasn't because of your, of your heritage, because of the bloodline you come from. That isn't why you have been, the, been given the right to become the child, the child of God. He goes on to say, nor of the flesh. So it wasn't because of me, because I just decided, well, you know what? I want to be born again today. Hello. It wasn't that. He says, nor of the will of man. And so it wasn't the will of man. It wasn't just because someone, you know, wanted this for you. He says, but of God, but of the will of God. And so the first thing that we must realize that grace empowers, it empowers us foundationally. The most important thing is it, it empowers us to be in a relationship with God the Father. Grace empowers us to become children of God. Without grace, we can't be children of God. Without grace, none of us can be saved. That's the bottom line. And so the first thing is that. Now the second thing, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to be going all over the Bible today because I want to make sure that I lay a good foundation as to what these things are that the, the grace of God empowers us for. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24 to verse 26. It might be First Timothy. I'm sorry. Is it? It's the wrong verse. Mm, it is the wrong verse, but it's not. It's not their fault. It's my fault. Ah, glory to God. Got a little typo going on here. That's all right. We'll turn to this one. Turn to Acts chapter eight, verse forty-eight. We'll go there. Acts chapter 8, verse 48. I didn't give you all that one, so you might not have it. Is it there? I don't even know my Bible today. 38. I, don't. <laughs> I, I need deliverance, man. I need help. It is. All right, so we're going we're gonna to skip that one. I'm going to send you that verse, man, because I, I, I cannot believe that I wrote the wrong verses. Is it 38? It's not 38, though. It, it, it's not saying what it's supposed to say, glory to God. Got to say the right thing. I mean, I could read 38 to you, but that is not what I'm trying to communicate here. He says, so he commanded. I mean, he, so he commanded. <laughs> that is not the scripture that I'm trying to communicate. Glory to God. So anyway, I'm, I'm fallible. Jesus is not. Amen. The word is not. But, I, but I'm going to give you the second point anyway. So the first one is, it is that God empowers us to become children of God. The second thing is that he empowers us to repent of sin. He enables us to repent of sin. I think that was the right verse. Hold on a second, y'all. Go back to 2 Timothy. I need deliverance in Jesus' name. We're going back to 2 Timothy. Let's just, let's just run back there. I could be wrong, glory to God. I think it's the second part of the verse. It's all right. You get to learn some Bible, you know, just go back and forth there, right? Here it is. It is. Glory to God. It is. This is the right, is that the right verse. I wasn't crazy, glory to God. Amen, amen. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, it says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, 
able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, glory to God, and that they may come to their senses, I love that, and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so what he says here is he says, that we'll read it again, look what he says. He said, and the servant of the Lord, how many servants of the Lord do we have in this place? All right, so we're servants of the Lord. Now, I want to give you some context because I want to be clear. He is speaking specifically to ministers of the gospel, right? He's talking to Timothy, but let me, but let me, let me, let me make, it, make it clear. Every one of us is supposed to be ministers of the gospel, amen? And so none of us, not like, hey, man, the pastors are supposed to be this. No, everyone in here, you know, I'm a servant of the Lord, and so you should be doing this. He says a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, right, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. And so we have to be patient. Why? Because people don't get it right away. That's the reason why we repeat stuff. Amen? Some folks say, why y'all repeat yourself so much? Well, if we saw the fruit, we wouldn't continue to repeat ourselves. Amen? I'm just saying, I, you know, and, 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 and I'll put it to you like this. God is the one who set the pattern. It wasn't me, glory to God. It wasn't a preacher that said, hey, we need to repeat ourselves. It was God who did that. And why is it? It's because of us, because of our fallenness, because of our sinful nature, because we by nature want to do our own thing. We by nature want to think, I got it. And then we realize, and I'm just talking from experience, y'all. When, when, when I realize and I, and I think I've got it and then I go back through the scriptures and I start reading some more, I realize, man, I don't, I don't got it. And that may just be me and like three of us, but it's okay. You know, we're in good company, right? I mean, God repeats himself for me. I'm cool with that. But he says that we must be patient. Why? He says in humility. And so we shouldn't be prideful and like, man, I got it and you ain't got it. Are you hearing me? Right? We shouldn't be like, yo, I can't believe that you've heard this 900 times and you still don't have it. I can't believe you've been a Christian for how many years you've been a Christian and you still don't have it. No, he says they must in humility correcting, right? So when we correct, so that means we're supposed to cor- correct. Say we're supposed to correct. We're supposed to correct others in humility with patience, with a humble heart. That's the reason why I constantly remind us of the gospel. Why? Because if I am not reminded that I need the gospel, I don't correct people in humility. Did you hear what I just said? If I am not reminded of my need for the gospel, I do not correct people in humility because somehow I have arrived and they haven't. Somehow I'm at a place that they're not. But hold on. All, all, all of this is wiped out when we come to the realization that we are sinful by nature. Hello? That we all fall short of the glory of God. And that all of us are separated from God because of our sin. And that because of that, what happens? We will end up being separated from him for all of eternity and experience hell, separation, suffering from him. But Jesus, amen. He comes and he dies in our place because I can't save myself no matter how good I may think I am. I can't deliver myself from sin. And so Jesus comes, dies in my place to liberate me from what? The separation from God and the eternal damnation from God. Hello? He comes to give me new life so I can be born again, so I can have this new nature. And I love what one writer says when he's speaking of the gospel. He says we have this new nature that is locked up in this old nature. Hello? We have this new nature, this new thing that is inside of us that is there and that is striving after God. But then there is this old nature that continues to pester us. There is this old nature. That is why we groan, glory to God. That is why we look forward to the day of our redemption. That is the reason why we look forward to the day of glorification. Because at that day, no longer will we be locked inside of this sinful body. Hello. No longer will we have to crucify our flesh. No longer will we have to say no to sin because sin will be absent. Amen. And so what happens is he says that we must be humble, right? Humbly correcting those who are in opposition. Who are in opposition to what? What are we supposed to be teaching, church? Are we not supposed to be teaching the gospel? Are we not supposed to be teaching the truths of Scripture? Is that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to be teaching the Bible, and that's the full counsel of God. Not just one part of the counsel of God. The full counsel of God. We are supposed to be humble as we correct others who are in opposition. No, that's incorrect. No, that's not true. 
No, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. I, I used to think that. I, not, any, not anymore. Hello? And we show them with patience. But what is the purpose? What is the purpose of all that is patience and this humility and correction? It's that God would grant them repentance. That God would empower them to come to their senses is what the scriptures. I love that. Because people, are, they're not in their sense, they're not in their right mind when they're opposed to the word of God, when they're opposed to the truths of the gospel, when they're opposed to the scriptures. And listen, he's not just talking about people from the outside church, he's talking about people from the inside. Hello? And so it's important for us that we're patient, that we're humble, that we correct one another in love and the truth of the scripture and hoping and praying God grant them repentance. So the first thing God does is he grants us the ability. He empowers us to become children of God. And the way that we become children of God, church, is by recognizing sin. Because if we don't recognize sin, then we don't recognize our need for a savior. Hello? If we don't recognize sin, we have no need for a Savior. The second thing, turn over to to the next book there, to Titus, chapter 2. You should be there pretty quickly. Chapter 2, verse 11. The third thing here, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. I just want to read it again. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Hallelujah. Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present ages. So we looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about what grace does, right? Grace is not this ticket to just sin. It's not this ticket. We're not free to just do whatever we want to do. But the grace of God is teaching us what? It's teaching us to say no to sin. It's teaching us to live godly. And he says looking forward, and it, it, it continues to drive home that we should be looking for, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, continuously reminding us that Jesus gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, set us free from those sins, and purify for himself. Remember that tension I talked about last week where he redeems us, he sanctifies us, he calls us holy, he calls us righteous, and yet he's working righteousness in us. We're complete, but we're not completed is what the scriptures teach. And the grace of God shows us this. So the first thing is the grace of God empowers us to do is to become children of God. The second thing the grace of God does is it empowers us to repent of sin. And the third thing it does is it empowers us to live righteously. It is the grace of God. It's not your goodwill. It's not my goodwill. None of us. I said this last week. None of us. None of us just will ourselves to be good. None of us. We don't have that ability in us. We can want to, right? I mean, we can desire. I mean, everybody in here desires to live righteous, right? You all love Jesus. You want to live righteous. But we need something extra, something bigger than our will. And that is what? The grace of God. The grace of God that empowers us to live righteously. And the fourth thing that I'll say this and turn to 2 Thessalonians, just a couple books back, we were there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll look at verse 11 and 12. It says, therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he continuously prays for us, or the Apostle Paul is praying for the church today. And how many of you know that these prayers, when we read them, these are things that are simply recorded so we understand what God's will is for us? When I look at what these, what these apostles, these men of God prayed for the church, he is praying for them. And so the fourth thing is this, is that it is that we would live out God's will. 
It is by the grace of God that we are able to become children of God. It is by the grace of God that we are able to repent of sin. It is by the grace of God that we are able to live righteously. And and the reason why I separated these last two points, it's not just about living righteously, but it's about living out God's will is because it's it's not solely that, but it's living out the will of God, not just living holy lives, not just not sinning, but it's about fulfilling all of God's good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, you can write that verse down. It is God who wills and works through us to accomplish what? His good pleasure. But prior to that, it says what? That we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling is what the scriptures teach. And so it's God working out his will. And so this list is not meant to be exhaustive. I gave you four points. There's a lot more that I could say about what grace empowers us in. But this gives us a clear understanding as to how grace empowers us. And so our recognition of grace being the source of every good thing in our lives brings about the end result. What is the end result of us recognizing that grace is the source of every good thing in our life? What what, what do you think the end result is? Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. And I want you to see what the end result is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. When you got it, say so. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 9 is the key. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so what is the end result? What is the end result of us recognizing this? It is that we continually recognize that everything that we do, that everything that we accomplish from salvation to glorification, hello, is all for the glory of who? Jesus. It is all for his glory. It is all because of what he has done. Second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must learn how to depend upon the grace of God to empower our lives. We must learn how to depend upon the grace of God to empower our lives. One of the tragic realities within our day within the church today, and I talked about this earlier, I said I'd talk about it a little bit later, is biblical illiteracy. While we have an overabundance of Bible study tools and preaching opportunities to hear the scriptures and, you know, churches stream live and they have websites with podcasts and they have all of these different things that we have, most professing Christians, and please, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I hope that if this does touch your heart in that way, that you will repent. Hello. My goal is never to offend. My goal is to present the truth. And so most professing Christians in our day, and these are the ones that I deal with, are either casual readers of the Bible, people who just read the Scriptures, they're not really studying, they're not really meditating, they casually read through the Scriptures, maybe they have a Bible reading plan, maybe they don't at best. That's, a lot of them, that's what they do. Or they're occasional openers of the Bible. What do I mean by that? They only open the Bible when they're at church. They only open the Bible when they're in a Bible study. They only open up the Bible when someone points them. It's not something that they are doing, or at worst, they never read the Bible. So we have people that many times are casual readers of the Bible. Then you have those who are just, you know, opportunistic openers of the Bible. And then you have those people that don't even read the Scriptures. And as I was writing and I was preparing this sermon, man, the Holy Spirit convicted me so hardcore. And I want to say something. I start every year. I, I always purpose in my heart to start one of those Bible reading plans. And I can tell you every year I fail. You hear what I said? Every year I fail. So when I preach to you all about, you know, middle of the year and you still haven't finished it, amen, I'm right here with you. I'm repenting just like you and I'm doing that. And as I was sitting down and I was looking at this, 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 this is crazy. This, this is why it hit me so hard because on this, this, this particular year, I'm using an app in order to do that, right? And so I'm like, okay, I got this app. I open up, start reading through the scriptures. And so it lets you know how many days you've actually read. Hello, somebody. Talk about accountability like right in your face. Like, yeah, bro, you love Jesus. How many times have you read your Bible reading plan? And when I looked at it, I read my Bible reading plan 36 times since the beginning of this year. Why do I say that? Because first of all, I need to just confess to you, man, that I do not walk on water. Hello. 
And when it comes to this, I fall short just like everyone else that, you know, may do that. And some of you are like, man, I never fall short in your Bible reading plan. Glory to God. You're doing a great job. Talk to me. Help me. Call me up. When you start reading your Bible, be like, Bishop, read your Bible. And what I'm saying is this, is that I study the Bible, and this is why it was so big for me. It's because it's not that I don't read my Bible, because I study my Bible a lot in order to preach messages. But you want to know something? There is a difference, and, and I'm a firm believer in this. I firmly believe because I know this much. When I study the Bible, when I'm reading the Scripture, I don't care who I'm reading it for. I'm reading it for me first. That's the truth. And so I get into the scriptures and I read the scriptures. But the problem is I made a commitment to my God and I said, Lord, I want to do this and be with you and spend this time with you. And it's not the same thing. That's my time that's just separated from me and the Lord. There's a difference to that. And so I'm a firm believer, man. It's not enough. I'll tell you right now. It is not enough for me to just study the Bible to preach to you. Not going to happen. It's never enough. And so when I say this, think about this for a moment. Let's just take away my title and responsibility to preach the Bible. You know what that would mean for me? That would mean I read my Bible 36 times in, like over, in, in about half a year. You think that that's acceptable? You think I'm really going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus? Seriously. You think I'm going to do? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think. I, I'm going to be better than maybe some other people, but who am I measuring myself by? Other people? No, it's about my growth in the gospel. And so I, I come here to make sure you realize that I'm not talking out of the side of my neck, man. I know how tough it is to discipline yourself. This world has a lot of stuff, a whole bunch of things that, that vie for our attention. Hello? A whole lot of stuff that try to grasp our attention. But you know what? We can come to God with repentant hearts and humble hearts and say, God, I really want more of you. And the only way that's going to happen is might be being in the scriptures. Amen? Here's the reason why this is so important for us to have this Bible literacy and for us to learn how to depend upon the grace of God. When I started this series, I told you that someone was asking me, how is it that I grow in, 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 in the gospel? How is it that I grow in grace? And I gave you some practical things, so I want to give you some more practical stuff as to how it is that you grow in dependence. I don't want to just throw a word out there and say, hey, learn how to depend on this. How is it that I grow in this dependence? Because the problem is if we're not depending on the grace of God to empower our lives, what we end up doing is we depend on our feelings and we call it faith. We depend on what we're feeling inside and, well, I feel this and so that's faith. Is that really faith or is that just a feeling? Hello. We follow our emotions in the place of the direction of the Holy Spirit. Hello. Because we're not rooted in the, in the Word of God and so we're not experiencing the grace of God as God would want us to feel, to, to experience it. Grace is not, hear me when I say this, grace is not a feeling, it is a biblical reality that empowers our faith to live out the will and the purposes of God. Listen, I don't always feel grace. Are you with me? I don't always feel grace. I don't always feel graceful. I don't always feel so feel, you know, full of grace. But what I know is that grace is a reality. It's a reality because what? Because I feel it? No, it's a reality because the scriptures communicate it. The scriptures communicate what grace is. The scriptures communicate what the grace of God is. And so if you want to grow in the grace of God, I encourage you to take some notes here because the first thing, and I normally don't have you do this, but I'm going to have you repeat these sub, these sub points with me. Say, seek God's truth, seek God's truth. that requires his grace. So the way that we learn, the first way that we learn how to grow in the grace of God and, 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 the, and be empowered by the grace of God and how to grow in this is by us seeking God's truth that requires his grace. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 2 through 3. First Peter chapter 2, and you got to say so. And we'll just start reading in verse 1. Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. So again, we get a list of things that we should lay aside. And then he tells us in verse 2, he says, As newborn babes, as newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. 
And so the first thing is to seek God's truth that requires his grace. And now for some of your translations, you may, it may just say there, desire pure milk. It doesn't say the word. But I'll give you a couple of references to show you that the Bible, when it's speaking of milk here, it is referring to the word of God. And one of them is 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, where it talks about Paul, you know, bringing, bringing milk to them and teaching. And then also the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. And so the first thing is we must seek God's truth. You want to grow in your dependence upon God's grace. Well, you need to find where God's grace is. And the way that you do that is you desire it as newborn babes. And I saw a mother with a, with a young baby yesterday in a store. And as we were in the store, you know, we, we, hadn't, we hadn't seen this baby and, and the mom together. And so we're standing there talking, and the baby is wrapped up in one of those things. You know, where, I, I don't know what it is, but anyway, it's, you know, one of those wraps, I guess. What is it? Swaddle, there you go. So baby swaddled, you know, mom's hands are free. I don't know, it's like a hands-free swaddle, glory to God. And so, yeah, I don't know, but anyway. So she's, you know, so she's right there, you know, and she, the baby's there. And all of a sudden, you know, as we're in the middle of the conversation, the baby starts picking her head up. And she's a little baby, I don't know, a couple months old. And she's just picking her head up and started making this noise. And then my wife was like, I guess that baby's getting, you know, she's getting a little restless. And the mom was like, yeah, because she's about time for her to eat. And so what is she doing? She's making some noise, man. I'm hungry. Hello. Right? She's making effort. She, she can't do anything. You know, if she could, she would get the food herself. Amen? I'm just saying. Right? But she can't get the food herself. So what she does is she does whatever she can in order to get the food. It is not so with us as Christians. Hello. We should be the ones that recognize it's time to eat. Hello. I'm just saying, and, and, and he says to desire the sincere or the pure milk of God's word. And so what he's saying is, listen, don't find your fill in other things. Find your fill in that which is pure. And the purest thing is what? It is the word of God. And so he's saying, find your fill there. As newborn babes, let that stir up inside of you. It's time to eat, and don't settle for something less than the pure, unadulterated word of God. He communicates this. He lets us know this. See, our dependence upon grace only grows as our faith in the scriptures grow. What does the book of Romans tell us? It says faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? There you go. So if we're hearing the word of God in context, he's talking about salvation. Here's the point. Someone will never come to faith in Jesus if they don't hear the gospel. Hello? How can they be expected to? I mean, that's, that's what Paul is saying. He's like, how can they believe if nobody preached to them? And how can they preach if no one was sent? This is what Paul is communicating. But here's the thing. The point is, how does faith grow then? It grows by us hearing the word of God. And it's not just talking about the preaching alone. Hello. It is speaking about us growing in what? We grow in our faith as we are in the word of God, as we are desiring the pure milk of the word of God, as we are desiring the scriptures. The second thing here is that the more we are in the word of God, the more empowered we are by grace. The more that we're in the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says what? It says all scripture is divinely breathed in or all scripture is inspired by God or all scripture is breathed in. There's a bunch of different translations, but the word breathed in, divinely, um, divinely inspired, all of those things, all of those words come back to one word. And this is one of my favorite words, probably like, I don't, know, I don't even know how many years ago I was doing a study on it. And it is the word theonoustos. Say theonoustos. There's your Greek word for the year. Hallelujah. Theonoustos, okay? It's, it, it, it's, it's this awesome word. It says that all scripture is theonoustos. And when you look at that word and you break it up in the Greek, it is a compound word, and it comes from the word theo, which the word theo in the Greek means God. Say God. And so theo is God or Lord. And so the first part of the word, it is God, right? And then noustos is where you get the word pneuma or breath. And so it is God breathed. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's God-breathed in. And so what did God do? This is what he did. He breathed into men. This is called the inspiration of scripture, right? He breathed into men what he would have men pen in order for them to write down his words. But then you go into the book of Hebrews, it's like chapter 4, and it says something. It says that the word of God is living and active. Say active. Say living. So the word of God is not dead. It wasn't like God breathed and went, and that was it. You guys write it down, and it's dead words. No. He says the word of God is living and active. And so the word of God is doing something when we are in it. Hello. See, what happens is God breathed into them, and guess what? He's still breathing into us. 
The reason why this word impacted me so much is because I realized something. I realized that when I am in the inspired word of God, I need the grace of God to accomplish the commands of God. And the way that the grace of God is breathed into my life is as I meditate. And I forgot to grab a balloon, but I was going to bring a balloon. And if I took a balloon up here, and I hope no one has a balloon. If you do, just don't give it to me. But anyway, just think about this visually with me, okay? Be like, I got a balloon. No, don't worry about it. Look, here's the thing. If I take a balloon and I just go, right, right, the balloon will just blow up a little bit. It's not going to stretch the balloon out. Nothing like that is going to happen. I blow it, and it's going to stay right there. But here's what happens. That's what would be an example of me just reading a scripture or hearing a preaching. See, you feel something, right? You feel like, oh, I feel encouraged. I feel inspired. I feel whatever. You, you feel something. But then, you know, you walk away. It's not, it's not like it's growing in you. But when you meditate on it, it's like... And then what happens is my faith begins to grow. And that's the reason why, you know, you begin to quote scriptures with a different attitude when you've been meditating on them. See, it's different when you say, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But, you know, when you've been meditating on that and you come to someone and you communicate that truth of scripture, you know, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he heareth us. See, you got a little attitude when you've been meditating on that scripture and you've been praying and you've been seeking God because what? Because you realize that there, because what has happened is while you have been meditating in the word of God, God has been... He's been breathing that faith into you. He's been breathing that life into you. And that way you can be what? So you and I can be a people who are empowered by the grace of God. So realize that when you are not in the word of God, you are disconnecting yourself from what? The life and the breath that God wants to breathe into your spirit and my spirit. So you want to learn how to depend on grace? Well, you got to be in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit has to be the one breathing life into you. And so it's important for us. The second thing that I will say that you need to do is say this with me. Say, acknowledge our need for God's grace in our success. So the first thing we need to do is we need to seek God's truth that requires his grace. The second thing is we need to acknowledge our need for God's grace in our success. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 16. When you got it, say so. Y'all tired of turning? Come on now. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. When you got it, say so. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious. Look at that. He's talking about repeating himself. Amen. Look what he, he, just, he just said that. He said, for me to write the same thing. In other words, for me to repeat myself to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And so Paul here, he's saying, look, he's saying, you know what? He said, we are the circumcision, right? He said, we're the ones, our hearts have been circumcised by faith in the gospel. And now he's pointing out, he's saying, and we don't, we don't have confidence in our flesh. We don't, we don't have confidence in our past. We don't have confidence in our bloodline. We don't have confidence in our good works he's saying we don't have that kind of confidence but then he says if anyone could have confidence he said I could and anyone who thinks they might have confidence I should have so more than them and he goes on to give the reasons why he says this he says circumcised in verse 5 circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law a Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless and so Paul could have been like, yo, man, I'm, I'm keeping the law the way that it's supposed to be kept. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. And so what he does, he says, look, he says, all of those things that I could have put my faith in, I could have put my hope in, I don't put them in there. I count them all as lost for Christ. I count them all as dung for Christ. They're, they're, they're all as lost. He says, yet indeed, I also count. He doesn't, he doesn't just stop. I love this. He doesn't just count those things. He says, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. 
Hold on a second. I thought he already had Jesus, man. I mean, this, this, this guy is writing inspired scriptures here. That's what he's writing. He is writing the word. He does, I mean, he doesn't at that moment, he may not realize what he's writing, but he is writing a letter on, under apostolic authority. He's writing to the church, and this guy is saying that I may gain. He's still like he's lacking something. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And look what he says. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, But I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you nevertheless to the degree that we have already attained let us walk by the same rule let us be of the same mind Paul is like man I haven't attained yet I haven't attained but he does say this he says for what you have attained and so what does he mean by that what he's saying is that man you've been in you, you you've been in bible study You've been hearing the apostles' teachings. You've been hearing the truth, right? You, for us in our context, you've been reading your Bibles. You've been seeking God. And so that means that you should have attained some kind of knowledge, amen? So you have some level of accountability. And so each of us should live according to what we have attained. And we should continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge. And I've said this before based on this verse that each of us should walk to the degree to where we have attained. In other words, we should walk with the faith in what we know about God. The same thing goes for me because here's the truth. As long as I never walk away from the fundamental truths of Scripture... I will continue to grow in my knowledge of God's will and his purposes. And you know what? You have to be able to say, yep, you know what? That's true. He's seeing the scriptures. He's seeing what God is leading him in. It doesn't mean that I change the Bible. Hello? If I start changing scripture, we have a problem. If I start changing scripture, y'all need to come talk to me. Hello? Come have a conversation. Be like, Bishop, that is not what the Bible says. Because when I, if I get crazy like that, y'all need to lay hands on me. I'm I'm serious. It's important for us that we, att- that we walk to where we've attained. But Paul is a man who could have said, now, now the second point was, acknowledge our need for God's grace and our success. Paul could have said, man, I've already attained, man. I've already arrived. I've, you know what? I left that stuff, you know, my Judaism. I left all of those accolades. I've come to Jesus. But Paul is like, man, I still haven't attained. I've preached. I've planted churches. I've done so much. And you know what? He's still pursuing the glory and the wonder of who Jesus is. And so we should never get to the place that we are so comfortable in our success or our accomplishments that we no longer passionately long to know Jesus, acknowledging our need for his grace. This is what Paul was doing. He wasn't like, man, I've I've arrived or I've achieved or I've done this and done. See, because we can get to that place. We become so comfortable that our hunger for God dwindles. We become so comfortable that we're not like Paul. I mean, when you read these words and you hear them, I mean, sit down by yourself and read, feel the passion that this apostle is communicating, his hunger. He's like, if I can attain. I mean, like there is a desperation in his heart. And our question is, man, do I really acknowledge my need for God's grace in the midst of my high times? Hello. Because what happens to us many times is that when we're in our high times and everything is good, you know what? We're the least passionate for God. We're the least hungry for him. Oh, we know we need God's grace in the next moment, the next point that I'm going to get to. But in our high times and the moments of success, the moments that finances are good, the moments that marriage is good, the moments that kids are good, the moments that everything is just firing on all cylinders, we will find ourselves in those moments to be the times that we're the least hungry for the Lord. And those should be the times that we discipline ourselves to say, man, I cannot become self-reliant. I can't become dependent upon myself. I can't stop hungering after him. As a matter of fact, I should look at my life at that moment and say, man, this is so amazing. I don't have any issues that are pushing me to the cross. I should run to the cross. I should run after him with all of my heart. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, trust God's grace in our times of difficulty. 
Turn to the last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So if I want to grow in my dependence and grace, I need to seek God's truth that requires his grace. I need to acknowledge my need for God's grace and my success. And the third thing is I need to trust God's grace in my times of difficulty. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, when you got it, say so. The Apostle Paul, again, he's in this earlier part of the chapter talking about revelations that he's had from the Lord. And he says, unless I should be exalted above measure. And mind you, he never even says that it was him. He's, he's, he's like playing a third party, third person here in the, in the first part. But he goes on in verse 7. He says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that I might depart, that, that it might depart from me. And let me say this. I, I just want to point this out. I don't think, and, 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 and some of y'all may disagree with me, but I don't think most of us have arrived to the place that God has to send us a messenger from Satan to buffet us. Hello. I'm just saying. I, I, I don't think that most of us have gotten to that place. I don't think that most of us are struggling with something that the Lord had to send to keep us humble. I think that most of us are in a place where we're still struggling with stuff. We're still dealing with stuff. Now, some of you, you know what? You may be dealing with that. But what I'm saying is not everybody's going to be able to relate with this first part. But everybody should be able to relate with this next part here in verse 8. Because whenever we go through hardship, how many of you, whenever you're going through hardship, and you can show your hands on this, how many of you say, God, man, deliver me from this situation. Help me get out of this situation. You, don't, you just don't want to be there. I mean, I'm just being real. It's not like I say, God, keep me here until you teach me. I know some of you are more spiritual than me. I'm sorry. I'm just being honest. When something difficult comes, I am, you know, you know, they, they, they talk about flee or fight, you know, flee or fight. Those are like the two responses to hardship and stuff. I'm the, I'm, I'm the flight guy. I just, I'm like, God, take me out of here. I don't want to be here. Right? I'm just serious. Seriously. Like, God, I don't want to be here. I want to be out of this situation. Now, I understand that when I'm in the situation and he hasn't delivered me from the situation, I'm going to have to go through it. And I'm like, okay, God, teach him what you need to teach me, but can we make this quick? saying i mean that's that's just me i'm just being real about it right but all of us we get to this place we're going through hardship and when it's really difficult and things are really tough in our lives and we may not ask him three times we may ask him a hundred times we may ask him five times i don't know how many times but the point is paul says that he pleaded with the lord three times that it might depart from him three times and this is god's response to him my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Just let that sink in for a moment. The response isn't, hey, I'm going to deliver you from that hardship. That isn't his response. His response isn't anything that we want to hear. His response is, let me encourage you, son. Let me encourage you, daughter. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul goes on to say, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecution and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, we all want that, right? We all want reproaches. We all want needs. We all want persecution. We all want distress. No, right? But we all want Jesus, don't we? And can I tell you something? This, this is going to be my encouragement at this moment, so be prepared. This is going to be really encouraging. You really want more of Jesus? What I have seen is when you really want more of him, you're going to experience some hardship. Oh, you're going to know him in good times. That, that, yeah, I'm not saying you're not. You're going to be glory, glorious and wonderful. But it is when you get into those hard moments. And listen, I'm, just, I'm telling you what the Bible teaches. I'm not talking about my experiences. You know, I've never gone through anything near what Paul has gone through. I can tell you that hands down. I haven't gone through some of the stuff that half of you have gone through in this place. But the reality is I know that through difficulty, through hardship, I know me personally, it is through those hardest moments of my life 
that I've come to know my Savior the best. And what Paul says is that in your weakness, right, this is God speaking to him. God's strength is made perfect. And so what do we do? Well, we seek his word. We acknowledge our need for grace in good times, and we trust God's grace in our times of difficulty. It is in our weakness or our inability that God's strength is made perfect. Not every trial is sent by the Lord, but his grace is sufficient for all trials. His grace is sufficient for all trials. And so as we grow in our dependence upon grace, the spirit of grace is able to manifest more fully and more freely in our lives. How many of you want that in your life? You want the grace of God to manifest more fully, the grace of God to manifest more freely. And so my closing question is this. Are you living a life that is fully empowered by grace? And the better question is, in what areas of your life are you not seeing the grace of God manifesting fully? In what areas of your life? I don't know where it is. What areas of your life are you like, man, I really need to see God's grace in my life? You know, you may be going through a hardship, and his grace is just going to be there to strengthen you in the midst of it. There may be other areas where you need to repent of sin and you need to recognize, man, I have not responded in faith to the word of God. Therefore, I need to respond in faith in order for this grace of God to be manifested because I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. There may be other areas. I was talking to someone the other day and they were telling me how they feel like God is calling them to do so much more. And so my encouragement to that person, and they're not in this room, but if I'm, when I'm talking to that person, it is don't quench the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. Don't say no to God when God is saying go. Hello. When God is saying move, don't say no to him. When God is saying obey me, don't say no to him. Trust him. Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me. Grab your neighbor's hand and I want you to be that.